the belly on. Ring Macca. Australia's waiting for you. I've been wondering if the King... Remember last week the King George Whiting? I wonder if the King George Whiting was named after the King in the 18th century, the George then, or maybe it was named after the Queen's dad, George, or the Queen's dad's dad, King George Whiting. But now we've got another King George, but by gee, it's a good fish. 1300 two. Want a hand, mate? Ring Macca. Uh, good morning, Macca. Good day. It's uh, Thelma calling you. I just want to say thank you for the great music you've had on this morning and for your cheerful voice. Oh, thank you. Where are you, Thelma? Um, I live in Gidgigannet, which is in the Darling Range outside of Perth. Oh, lovely, lovely stuff. Yeah, good spot. And it's very, very quiet, Macca. I don't have any neighbours, just the roos going past the uh, gate now and then. Just but, the uh, kangaroos, yeah. Yeah, right. I just wanted to hear a voice this morning, so I'll put you on and there you were. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really nice, Thelma. I'm glad to talk. I might come over. There's the farmer on the plates on in a couple of weeks, I think, in Fremantle. I might come over. to. I love Western Australia. I might just come over again if I get we, a minute. But lovely, lovely to have you, Micah. Yeah. Take care. Good on you, Thelma. Lovely Thank to talk you. to you. Bye. Wasn't Thelma just a little darling? She's in Gidjigan up there, she is, and the only thing going past the front gate is the ruse. And as for Farmer on a Plate, as I mentioned to Thelma, I don't know if I can get over there. I'm going to try. I'll let you know this morning. But it's on next Saturday, the 4th of November, at the Fremantle Esplanade, and there'll be lots and lots of people, lots and lots of farmers displaying their wares. It sounds like a wonderful thing. I meant to go last year, but, you know, time interferes with all things. 1300 700 I'm just on the road shifting sheep between Jamestown and Kaltawi. That's in South Australia, says Helen. Wouldn't that be a nice thing to do? As long as it's not too hot. G'day, this is Macca. G'day, Macca. This is Laurie from Dramana. In Victoria, yes, heading, Laurie. How are you, mate? Yep. Yeah, good. Heading towards the one turner market. Mm-hmm. So my wares, but that's not why I'm ringing you. I... I was just thinking all over Australia, we were doing a runner up to Queensland and a E.H. Holden between carbs and uh, when was this? We got into Queensland and we were peppered by paddy melons from the sky. When was this? Been, when was this, Laurie? Oh, back in the 60s, 65. Yeah. 64, 65. And where in the heck did these paddy melons come from? Well, the parrots had them and they were dropping them on the roads to get the seeds, and we just happened to be there at that time. <laughs> so, how big, not every day something... How big oh, were they? They, they were up, up to orange size. Yeah. yeah. And they just dropped them on the bitumen, and we happened to drive by and or drive over them, break them, and then they'd go down and feed on them. We, we couldn't believe it. <laughs> it was a great, great little trip. Got oh. the Mount Isa and uh, had fun there, and then we had to get to Darwin... And so the uh, parents decided we, we were doing a, a crossing, a water crossing, and it was flowing reasonably fast. So we had to, uh, two of us had, two of the siblings had to walk across the water. It was flowing too fast to swim back to the same side. We made it across, and the car would go across with the trailer. Oh, it's great to be on the road, Laurie, I reckon, isn't it? Even. You don't it have, is. Even today. Um, I mean, I don't know if you get paddy melons today on your head, but maybe you would. <laughs> All sorts of things happen, mate. Fish fall out of the sky in those big rainstorms and the updrafts. Yeah, look, and, they do. And 
right now we've got uh, frost on the ground and you can see the clouds all around us slow down. It's uh, it's going to be a pretty good day. Yeah, at the, the one one turner markets, what do you what do you sell at the one turner markets, Laurie? Well, I think it's good quality merchandise, but a lot of people think it's junk. <laughs> but, uh, bit of bit of everything. One uh, man's quality merchandise is another man's junk. Correct, but it's it's a bit of fun and uh, lots of nice people get there. All right, yeah, it's always nice and, to, and, when people gather thank around. Thank you very much for giving us thirty plus years of good radio. That's a pleasure, Laurie. Keep up the good work, mate. I'll... Wouldn't you love to be going to Darwin today, this morning? I'd love to be on the uh, Stuart, oh, Stuart Highway. Lovely. Yeah. yeah. It would be really good. We yeah. got caught in, this, in a bit of a storm out there. We, we had about a kilometre of water going across the road, yeah. and we couldn't get across. They ended up getting a, do- a, uh, a grader in yeah. and a trailer on behind that to get us across the road. This is back in the 60s. They didn't have a great deal. They built a ramp, put a trail, put us on the trailer. And away you and go. And the water's about four to five feet across, high. And they just took us across. But it's hard to believe that there could be a kilometre of water just going by you. Good on you, Laurie. Great to talk to you, mate. All right. You have a great day. See you, mate. It's Ron Finnamore. I'm on the road driving to... Um, at Burrower, and I've got to ring up and say good day. Oh, good on you, Ron. Ronnie Finnamore, ladies and gentlemen. You see that trucks everywhere. Uh, and where are you on your way to, did you say? Oh, down to our farm at Burrower. I'm at, I'm at Maroolan, actually, just uh, on the highway. It's a beautiful morning, and I was driving along, and I was thinking about uh, the roads and road safety, and one of the things, Macca, that I'm supporting is uh, AAA are doing a a campaign to try to get the federal government to make all the states um, <laughs> supply the data and measure their performance. They give them $10 billion a, a year for roads for each of the states, but we they don't measure it. So if you measure what you do, you improve it. Mm. And road safety and road Road conditions are very important to everybody in the community, and I just thought it's something that you and the, all your listeners might have been interested in uh, hearing because AAA, I think, are doing a great job in trying to get the federal government to tie the states to uh, reporting consistently and commonly uh, on all their accidents and uh, the condition of their roads. And it's something that I think is very worthwhile because... Uh, as I said, if you measure it, you improve it. And uh, everybody benefits from the roads across this nation. Exactly. Did you say they got uh, each state gets $10 billion? No, no. The government, federal government gives $10 billion a year to the states. All right. And spread, around, spread across the states. Right. Across Australia. Yeah, and it's so, a lot of, lot of money. Yeah, some people write to me or, you know, ring and say... Uh, yeah, look, I've just done this trip and I wish all the roads were as good as the roads, say, in Western Australia. Um, but, but, you know, maybe they didn't get that rain rain event um, in, in such uh, numbers as we got it, you know, two years ago in Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland. So um, who knows? I'd like, you... like to get it now across New South Wales, oh, across North, dear, South dear. West, New yeah. South Wales. Yeah, but it's always the same, mate, isn't it? We, we go through these things, droughts, and then... I mean, I looked at my place 
the other day and it was dry. This is just a little backyard place. And then I just remembered 18 months ago, it was you could walk squash, 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 and there was a little creek running through my backyard. And and now now it's dry as a dry as a crisp. Yep, very much so. It's a, it's a, the country. We've got a country that uh, is uh, some of the poets of the past uh, yeah. described very aptly, didn't they? Yeah, what's AAA stand for? What's AAA stand for, Ron? Australian Automotive Association. All oh, right, there you go. And it, it combines the it, it it's the head body for the NRMA and the RACB and all of those different groups, and they're they're lobbying to uh, try to get the uh, federal government to tie tie the funds that they allocate up to each of the state governments. Because one of the problems with it's not only in the roads or the or rules of the roads or its health and education and everything, but each of the states doesn't report consistently and measure what they do consistently. So you can't see and uh, how they're performing with how they spend their money. And therefore, if you can't see that, you can't hold them accountable. No, and I, I think roads too, I don't know what percentage it is, but bad roads and badly designed roads and uh, not enough places where you can get off the main highway I think they all contribute to accidents don't they? Well it contributes to accidents and they they affect the productivity of the, of, uh, the country um, the worst thing you can have of course is, the, is accidents and the health system and the, the incidents and uh, deaths, road deaths of climbed in the last few years, last couple, two or three years quite substantially and we need to, uh, it's a combined effort from everybody mm. but at the moment too much of the road funds is given out on political uh, whim of the politicians rather than the area of greatest need. Oh yeah, exactly. So, ex- ex- exactly. I, I don't know. And Look, I think a lot of the road accidents are caused by, especially fatalities, are caused by, as I said last week, for another reason, they're caused by people who haven't got a licence or have got a suspended licence, unregistered cars, they've, they're out on bail, all sorts of things, um, and just crazy people, driving cars especially, and um, I don't know what the stats are, but by gee, you know, when, when you look at those sort of things and people on drugs and alcohol... Wow, I, but I don't know how you stop that, Ron. I don't know how you stop that. Well, it's 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 getting worse, isn't it? I mean, the the things you hear and see on the news about people, young people stealing cars and then the way they drive and all of that stuff, it's it's just horrendous. Mm. And uh, I don't know. We need to clamp down on them. <laughs> they say they can't even report. Don't the parents need to be held accountable? Yeah, but often they're not accountable sorts of people. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes. <laughs> well, um, yeah. I've just, I, I just think that we we all have a responsibility for what we do and how we operate. How we, Ron, how I'll, we, I'll, uh, yeah. I'll I'll talk to you. I, I'd like to see you up at the coffee shop one morning. Um, and quickly, quickly, how's the trucking business going? How's uh, how's business generally? Do you think on the roads? Well, I think everybody's hurting from the increase in petrol fuel prices, diesel and petrol. I mean, everybody's hurting. I think also everybody's hurting from a shortage of truck drivers. Um, that's a real issue, and uh, that's uh, 
getting getting people in our industry, and uh, that's a mm. that's an issue. And rising costs, everybody's everybody's hurting from that. So exactly. it's, yeah, it's, it's tough, but there's nothing easy matter other oh, exactly. than. You know, radio announcers, they get life easy. You know? Oh, good on you. Good on you, Ron. i got to fly, but nice to talk to you, mate. Thank you. Good on you. See you, mate. mate. Will's in Bega. Good morning, Will. Good morning, Marco. How you going? Good. How are you? Yeah, fine. What's Not happening? Not a lot. It's beautifully, uh, beautiful and sunny this morning here in Bega. Clear skies, a little bit of fog this morning, a bit of chill, but uh, it's not too bad. We're passing through, me and my friend Josh. On our big drive around Australia, uh huh. We're trying to do it as fast as we as we can, right? And, uh, being sensible, obviously. Well, but, tell uh, tell us the story, Will. Tell us the story. Well, as most good uh, ventures, it starts with a couple of beers and a napkin with a, a couple of scribbles on it, mm. and uh, we decided that it's possible in our week rusted week off of work, seven days, to drive the entire length of Highway One in Australia in so a couple of weeks. Go, go. In one week? In one week, that's right. And where did you start? We started in Hobart last mm. Sunday mm. at midday. We drove up to Devonport, caught the spirit of Tasmania across to Geelong, and we flipped a coin. We went uh, clockwise around Australia. So we went uh, west first, yeah. and now we're down in Bega with about eight hours left to go back to Geelong. Wow. <laughs> Holy mackerel. So you've done what? How many a couple of thousand a day or something? Yeah, we've we've clocked up fourteen thousand kilometers uh so far. We purchased a nineteen ninety eight Ford Falcon AU specially for the journey. Mm. And uh the car, despite being twenty five years old, is holding up very well. Wow. So um well you haven't had much time to look, you've just been going for it and, and who's been doing the drive <laughs> how many drivers? We've got two. Mm. So we've got we're taking uh, taking turns, probably about four hours on, four hours off. One sleeps and the other one drives. So and we alternate. Your will. Yep. And and it's your son, is it, Josh? No, it's my mate, Josh. Your mate, Josh. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and your mate, Josh, and you you two are st- sharing the driving. That's correct. Yep. Oh dear! Oh dear! Oh dear! I don't think it's, uh, it's I don't think it's legal, Will, but anyway you've done it, basically. So you've yeah, got eight hours all... eight hours now you're in Bega and to get to Geelong, well that's pretty easy to do now, isn't it? You haven't got Yeah, it's it's not too bad now. So what's We're it been what's it been like? Tell us what's it what's it been like? It's been uh it's been a really great way to see nothing in Australia, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> we we've just been passing through towns and waving at the uh, fantastic and tourist destinations. Did you stop for sleeps and stuff? No, we've been sleeping on the move. The passenger is so one on sleeps the move. in the back and the other driving. One sleeps in the passenger seat, and one right. drives. Yes. Uh huh. And what about you? Must stop for a, a bite to eat somewhere. Yeah, it's uh, at the fuel stations. Yeah. We haven't been eating particularly well. It's all uh, <laughs> petrol station food, but it's keeping us sustained. Nothing wrong with a toasted sausage and egg sandwich, mate. Um, That's right. <laughs> so yeah, and and heat, hot, cold. What's this, what's it been the story? Mostly hot, I suppose, has it? Yeah, been a bit chill. That's for sure. It was a bit chilly when we started in uh, in Tasmania. It was raining, and then we got up to the Pilbara, and we were shocked with the forty-one degree temperatures up there. So, uh, so a mix of everything. So, and you did this why? 
Um, just for the sake of it, really. We, we, we've done a lot of traveling around Australia and we thought, well, we wanted to see if it's possible to do it in our rostered week off of seven it's, days. It's not a Guinness Book of Records thing or something like that, is it? No, it's an unofficial, unofficial record, but we do think we have the record for, for the, I guess, the quickest time to drive Highway 1 in Australia. Highway 1. And how is Highway 1 looking? How's the potholes? Uh, not too bad. As you mentioned earlier, WA does have the best roads. Mm. We can confirm that. <laughs> <laughs> we were there only Gee, a couple of days ago. That's a long way. You didn't drive across the the so-called, it's not really the Nullarbor. The Nullarbor doesn't start to up till the train line, but you didn't drive across there in, at night, did you? It, it happened to be at night time. It oh, did, God, yes. help me. Kangaroos everywhere. <laughs> it, we've, we've been very fortunate with wildlife, actually. Mm-hmm. They must be hiding for some reason. Well, that's good. That's good because yeah, that's uh, yeah. We collected one on the Nullarbor years ago. Uh, but mm-hmm. there you go. Um, well, Will and Josh, uh, congratulations! You're in Bega at the moment. That's right. And what's that like? You stopped by the way. Yes, we have. We have stopped. So you've only um, got what a couple of hundred k's to go, have you? Two, three hundred. Yeah, about three hundred to Victoria, uh, and then about five hundred to Geelong. And you've got uh, you've got to do it by what time? We we were hoping to get it done by midday. That would be seven clean days. Mm. Be a couple of hours late, I think. Yeah, you'll be a couple of hours late. And and where are you finishing? Is there going to be a reception for you, or does people know we, you're doing this? Or yeah, a few of our mates, but no no big reception. We'll be finishing at the old Ford factory in in Geelong. The old Ford seems apt because we're driving a Ford Falcon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, good on you. So you'll you're, you're, you'll probably be there about three o'clock or something, or four o'clock. Something like that. Savo. That's yeah, right. Well, well, take it steady, take it steady, and, and congratulations, will. will. Where do you where do you live, Will? You live in. Uh, I'm I'm from Melbourne, but spend most of my time working in Newcastle. Uh huh. Doing. Uh, I'm an electrician, installing lights and airports at runways. Oh, uh, runways at airports. I see. And what about uh, Josh? What's he up to? What's he do? He's uh he's the same. He's from uh, Jindabyne, but. Mm-hmm. He works for the same company. We're actually work colleagues. All right. Good on you. Well, good on you, Will. I think the the Australian can do. Dick Smith would be proud of you. Good on you, mate. <laughs> good on you, Macca. Thanks, great, mate. Great to talk to you. <laughs> See you too. Good See G'day. How are you going there, Macca? My name's Andrew. How are you? From oh, Edigong. Oh, g'day, Andrew. What are you doing? Where are you? I'm out on Cocos Islands, mate, which is out. I, I, I checked it up for you. It's... 300 kilometres, uh, 3,000 kilometres, I should say, from Perth. Out, it's the most westerly telephone booth I could find to give you a call, mate. <laughs> you're in a phone box. Oh, you're in a phone box. You'll have to a get a Telstra one. You'll have to get a. You'll have to get one of our phone box t-shirts, mate. I'll have. We'll have to do that. What are you doing on the? That's Cocos Keeling Islands. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yeah. No. No. We're out here. Uh, we're doing a defence project, mate. To be straight up with you, so. I'll, I can't really tell to tell you too much about it, but the um, I've got a story to tell you though. Yeah. The, we we're working away on Thursday, and we've got a crane working on the job, and <clears throat> we're building this building for the government. But um, we pulled it, had to pull the crane down the the um, the airport's fellow uh, because we're right beside the runway. Uh, runs over in his in his ute and says, "Mate, you've got to pull the crane down. Pull down, pull the crane down quick." And anyway, these these four aircraft come in, and I've never seen it before, and we've been doing a bit of plane spotting while we're here because we, we've got to pull the crane down every time we, the plane comes in. And 
and the boys have been checking out the, the numbers on the tails. You can put it into the internet, and mm. we've only got internet on the job because we bought a Starlink over like your, your fellow last week. Yeah, right, yeah. And, um, and anyway, we searched these planes up, and they're from Scone. So they're sitting out here in the middle of the Indian Ocean from Scone. They're, uh, they're air tractors, which are these um, crop-dusting-type planes where they've got massive tanks on the, under the bellies. Yeah. Anyway, the, the pilot come over to me, one of the boys come over, because I was looking at them, and... and um, he come over and said, I said, there you go, mate. And he said, good. I said, where you come from? And he said, Sri Lanka. And I said, holy shit. Oh, you know, sorry, I shouldn't swear. Yeah. But um, uh, uh, anyway, and I said, what have you, you been doing in Sri Lanka to, and fly these four planes into into Cocos Islands? He said, we're coming back from Europe. <laughs> I said, holy smokes. And I said, what have you been doing in Europe? He said, oh, these planes have all been doing firebombing in, in Greece. And they're in a hurry to get them back over to the east coast because of the because of all the bushfires over there. So this is a stop-off point for them. And I, I did a bit more research, and the Cocos Keeling Islands used to be a refueling point for the Imperial, um, or which used to be Qantas Airways, back to London yeah. when they used to go through to Europe from from Perth. Uh-huh. So it's a pretty traditional stopover point for all these light planes coming back over from Europe and. And he said he wouldn't want to go to Jakarta. He didn't want, they didn't want to go to Jakarta because mm. it's just a pain in the neck going to Jakarta. But they, they took off from here to go to, I think, to Exmouth to refuel there. So this is, this is four, four air, air tractors? Four air tractors, yeah, from Scone. So I suppose we use, we use them here for the same thing, do we? Yeah, well, that's what they're coming back to do, yeah, because yeah. of the, all the bushfires, yeah. yeah. So, but they shift, they shift everything, apparently, from Australia over to there, over to Europe, and vice versa in the, the changing seasons. I see, and this must be a company that does this, not not, not the government, not our government. No, it's not the government. This, this the the firm was uh, pays pays planes or pays air out of out of Scone, mate. Uh huh. But um, interesting thing, isn't it? Hey, Andrew, you you you're our plane spotter, uh, not train spotter, but plane spotter. <laughs> oh well, look, it, it, when, there's not much else to do here, eh? When when uh, when something else changes, it, it's not many people. There's only 400 people here on this island. Mm. And how long have you you been on the island, Andrew? I got here last uh, fr- Friday week. Friday week, and we, we we head out on Tuesday. We go back home on Tuesday. I get back home on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. But um, so yeah, we're, it's a bit of a, a bit of a dash. But we've got to get ready for the roofer and everything here to to put the roof on this building and. And get it going, but so, we're working. So, what's your seven, seven what's, days? So, yeah. What's, hey? what's your are you a builder? Are you or a... no? No, I've called you before. I was in I was in Portugal last year, and I called you from over there because of all the gum trees that were around me when I was camping. Oh, that's right. I've got yeah. a I've got a steel steel manufacturing business in Mitagon called Oztrus. Yeah, and um, we do a fair bit of work for the government, and that. And um, anyway, they asked us to come over here and look at this thing. We it was all to be made with concrete, but the concrete's. Um, Four and a half thousand dollars a cubic meter to, to make on this island. Wow! So they they asked us to come up with an alternative for it, so we did it. And um, anyway, it's going good, mate. It's going real good. Uh, high security stuff, real real high security level sort of stuff. And have you been on the Cocos Keeling before? No, holy smokes, no. What, what's Long it, way to come, mate? It takes two days to get here. I know. And what's it like? Uh, give us give us all a, a look out your window at the moment. Where are you? I'm looking at the local AFL field, mm. and and this is the it's a it's the Cocos Club they call it here, which is their cyclone. Um, this is about level with Darwin mm-hmm. from a cyclone point of view, so that everything's cyclone proof in it. Um, this is their their go-to place when everything 
goes the wrong way, if you know what I mean. And, and um, so the telephone's here, obviously, and this is a landline back to Perth, I think, from here. And um, anyway, they, yeah, they're out here, this car's parked around, it's dark. It's mm. only 3 a.m. in the morning. That's right. You're, you're, you're about four, four and a half hours behind the East Coast. So it might, I'm, I haven't been here long enough to get out of my buddy sleeping pattern at home, mate. No. That's, and look... It's funny, isn't it? The older you get, I think it's harder and harder to do that. You know, it's it's a bit like um, I find daylight saving is is a bit like a jet lag. You know, it takes you a while to catch up and to get used to it. Especially if you live by the sun. If you get up in the morning and you know you look out and you know what exactly what the time is. But and then when I went to Perth last week, um, or not last week, last month, that's two hours behind. And now. I was going to go over to Perth uh, this week, but I don't think I can because it's three, three hours, wouldn't it? Yeah. It's three hours, and and again, it it just knocks you about, you know, it just does. So yeah. I can imagine four and a half hours behind, uh, and then you'll be back. Uh, had anyone call you from here before? No. Well, I think I think we've had a call from the Cocos Killing, but look, it would have been thirty years ago, I reckon. Um, right. Um, but um, yeah, look, it, it changes the Cocos Killing Islands, doesn't it? Um, oh, the, the government is the government are, are tipping a heap in here at the moment. They're it's a like a forward sort of base sort of thing for the Indian Ocean. There's always submarines. The boys are telling us out off the coast here and that. Yeah. And um, it, um, the patrols, the you know, the, for what what I don't know whether they're stopping immigrants or whether they're they're stopping um, Chinese vessels or something coming into our our zone or not. But um, it's a long way out, mate. Holy smokes, it's a long way to come here. But I bet it's uh, in lots of ways. It's uh, wonderful to be. I, we, we nearly went there. Look, uh, as I said, thirty or twenty-five years ago, we nearly had the opportunity to go there. But I just thought the logistics of trying to do a program on the Cocos uh, would be, uh, yeah, mind-boggling. We, we usually, when we do an OB, we usually rely on people coming, so we might have five hundred or a thousand people turn up, and we can talk to them. But on the Cocos. Um, we don't know. We've had to get we've had to get seventeen shipping containers out here full of building gear, mm. and it cost seventeen thousand dollars a container to get it get it from Perth to here. We've brought it all the way from Mittagong. So you trucked it across to, to Perth, and then yeah, they went they went on the train from 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 Sydney to Sydney to Perth, and then Fremantle on a boat. Yeah. Then on a boat out to here, then on a barge from the boat because the boat can't get into the jetty. From a barge to the jetty, then a crane, then onto a truck. Then, then uh, up to the side here, and then another another crane to unload them. Andrew, isn't life interesting? And I bet when you were um, eleven years old and you were in sixth class or something, you didn't think that this is what oh, you'd no, be mate. doing and, no. and working a, a you know a, a, an Oz Trust business and uh, yeah, getting out to the Cocos Keeling and seeing what you're seeing. Good fun, isn't it? <laughs> well, what it are we is. dead for quids? And what's the phone box like, mate? In good order. Oh yeah, it could do with a tub. They could come here and give it a tub, but you know the, the light needs a new globe in it. We probably need to report that to Telstra. But exactly, there's a, there's a light close by. So, but they'll mate, be, they'll it's be on good the... nick. No vandalism. Yeah. No one vandalises anything here. It's oh, pretty good. Isn't that terrible? Um, yeah, well, yeah, they'll be on Telstra. Will be on that right away if you give them a call. <laughs> but let's we'll um, we'll we'll send you when you get back to Mittagong, We'll send you a, a t-shirt. You stay, stay you. you stay on the line now, and we'll send you a a phone box T-shirt. Um, yeah, all right, mate. Good on. All the best, too. Good on you, mate. My name's Cameron Macker. Yep, I'm ringing from uh, Austria. Would you believe two letters different to Australia? 
yeah. and 16,000 kilometres away. And I bet a lot of mail over the years has gone astray from Austria to Australia. You, know. <laughs> you bet you it has. <laughs> you bet you it has. Cameron, what do you do? Where are, whereabouts in Austria are you and what are you doing? Well, well, I'm near, the best way to bring people's focus in is I'm near a main town called Linz, but in a little village which will interest you in the funny, with a funny name, and I'll put it in direct English, it's Bad Hall. Uh, B-A-D-H-A-L-L, but the Austrians pronounce it a little bit differently. But hall is the a derivative of the ancient Celtic word for salt. Right. So it's really a, uh, one of those uh, uh, spa towns uh, where they have a lot of natural mineral water mm. that comes up from underground. From an ancient lake 60 million years old, I'm told. I haven't been down to look at it. It's under the ground and they pump the water up full of minerals. And the reason why I'm here... Uh, I'm celebrating my 50th year of coming here. That's so I'm pretty old oh. by your standards. But why? And I came here. Yeah. Go on. C- continue. What? Well, well, I came here because by by a stroke of luck, uh, in some ways, uh, friends in Germany sent me down here. Their doctor sent me down here. I've got a problem with my side. It's genetic, and the spa therapy here. Uh, for the for eyes is very beneficial, and I've got a lot of help from it over the years. So I've come here now. Uh, so this 40, was fifty years fifty years ago. Yeah, you were you were sent you were sent there for the spa for yeah, your eye that's therapy. It. Wow, that's it. That's it. Unbelievable. And where were you living when you were sent there? Where were you living in Australia or over oh, there? I was on, yeah, I was in Australia, and I <clears throat> I was then farming. And near, here in Gippsland, West Gippsland, and a, a, this German chap came out to visit us on the farm, and we established a good friendship. And I thought, well, my eyesight's failing. I'll go to visit Germany before I go blind totally. It turned out <clears throat> through that connection, they said Germans, with their particular you know, confidence, said, "Oh, our doctors are the best in the world." <laughs> and uh, go and they sent me to an ophthalmologist there, and he said, "Oh, I can't help you because it's." genetic problem he couldn't help and uh, he said oh there's a town a village in Austria that can do uh, knows it has some success with this disease so lo and behold they put me on a night train and I woke up in in uh, this little town called Austria beautiful country you know beautiful rolling hills leading up to the Alps and farmhouses in big square farmhouses I've got called fear Kantoffs means four cornered house Uh, and uh, They, um, it just is beautiful, and so I ended up coming here again and again and again for this success that I've had. Uh, there you go. Now, See, as I'm getting, yeah. a lot of people have eye problems, uh, macro, yeah, uh, um, and uh, yeah. and uh, cataracts. I mean, seem to be everywhere. Yeah, With, yeah, is, yeah. is that sort it of what is. you well, had, or what? Well, a little bit different. Uh, it, it macular it is macular, macular generation can be genetic. My problem is genetic because I've had a problem with the retina. And it's um, got a funny uh, medical term, name. Uh, uh, the, uh, the retina starts deteriorating uh, because it's uh, genetically programmed to to fail. Mm. And so this this therapy has acted like a massage to the retina. <coughs> Excuse me, the retina being at the back of the eye, and it stimulated the blood supply and kept the retina healthier than what it otherwise would have been. So I've had this extension to my eyesight over that time. That's why I kept coming back. And there's still lots of people from all over the world. You think this would be like a mecca? Oh, yeah. Very few from Australia, though, because it's like, in some ways, it's Austria's best-kept secret. But, yeah, a lot of people from uh, Europe come here, Germany, 
Italy, you know, France, uh, Austria itself. Um, uh, but again, it's not widely known. And it, there's, we've got this conflict, Mackie, you, you'd be aware of it, between the Western medical concepts of medicine and the alternative, you know, concepts of medicine where, where therapy is seen as an alternative. It's, it's changing, as you know, over mm. time. But certainly in my case, uh, I've been lucky to have the benefit of this alternative therapy. It's worked for me. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I just thought I'd look what was interesting to me to ring in because a lot of other people do. They say, look, 50 years, 50 years is not a bad record. Yeah, no, it's pretty good, it's, isn't it? It's, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, well t- whatever, <laughs> in a lot of ways, whatever works, if, you're macula, if you can uh, fix your macula or whatever it is, um, whatever works is a good idea. But, you know, not always alternative therapies are, you know, they, they're, they're a lot of bunkum sometimes. But, but you know, whatever works, if, if it works for you. Indeed, they are. Yeah. So, Cameron, what, do you, are, what have you so done? Total, what have you done for a living? What do you do? <laughs> what? He's laughing. <laughs> he laughed. <laughs> no, I've had, a, I've had a mixed life. I started off as a farmer, as I think I said a minute ago. Yeah. I... My eyesight fail, was failing. I went to university, studied law, became an executive, uh, chief executive, really, in the end of an industry body for cooperative housing. Went back to the law, and the last working years of my lo- before I retired was um, working with Vision Australia, running what they call peer group therapy, and that was very effective to get people to come to terms with vision loss. As you understand, vision loss is pretty scary for a lot of people. I'll say it will for and, everybody. Any losses. And the reality is that mm. you can, if you know what's possible, that there are a lot of alternatives uh, to, to how you can manage your life, then it's not so scaring, scary as it could otherwise be. And that's where I worked on for 14 years and ends up you know, writing a book about it all. Cameron, uh, tell so me, the, yeah, there you go. Uh, tell me, what's it like in Lintz this morning? Is the um, <laughs> you, you've got oh, this evening? You've got autumn there, haven't you? Is it uh, coolish? Yeah, you're right. It is this evening. Um, look, it's been extraordinary. They're they're all commenting on the fact that we've had beautiful weather here. I'll make you envious. We've had when the first week I arrived, it was 25 degrees. The next week was a bit colder, but sunny. This week. It's up to about 20 again. Could you believe it? Nearly in November, uh, they all the locals are saying this is just unheard of. Mm. It's beautiful. Sunny, clear today, beautiful. Soft wind, bit cool, but sunny. Tomorrow is going to be a bit better and Monday a bit better again. Just, Quite extraordinary. Just give me a, a deal on the, on the spa. What do you do? Do you jump in and go head first in or what, what's the deal? Or do you <laughs> sit there or what's going on? Do you, do, you, do you submerge or what, what happens? <laughs> well, some people do because they have different types of spa treatment, Maga. Yeah. Uh, in my case, because uh, it's to do with the eyes, no, no head first job. They, it's, it's, you go into a room where there's some eye cups with the waters flowing through it. This spa water's been sterilised and flowing through the eye cups and with a little bit of it, electrolysis flowing through it as well. You put your eye in eye cups and rest them in this water as it runs through and uh, you know, for about eight minutes. And then um, it's it's quite extraordinary. Then uh, you stop and have a rest. As far as I'm concerned, that's all I do. But some people do have baths. You know, the the, yeah. the, 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 the town called 
Barter or Barter mean in German is yeah. Barf. Mm. So it's a salt bath. Salt bath, yep. Uh, but these are all over Europe. You know, there's Badischel, Bad Schellerbag, you know, very famous towns throughout yeah. Aust- uh, Austria and Germany where the Europeans Baden. have had yeah. bar treatment. Yeah, 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 Baden, Baden. Yeah. Baden, Eiheim in Germany. <clears throat> and I've been part of that. Lucky, the great mystery or secret here is that the water, which I mentioned, is an old seabed, 60 million years old, and is full of minerals. And the iodine is successful, in my case, iodine ions, which are not oxidised. So they come up without changing the original format. And yeah. and it has this effect of massaging the retina, which nothing else can really operate wow. on, and uh, stimulates the blood supply. And that's the essence of it all. So I've had success. Cameron, me think it, me think it amazing. Just tell me, because I'm always interested when I talk to um, people around the place, um, how's uh, yeah. they've... They're over uh, COVID over there. What's the deal? How are the towns? Is it... No, 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 no. It's coming back in. <clears throat> There's an, the new strain's coming back. Uh, there's some talk of it uh, affecting a lot of people. I haven't seen personally evidence of it. There's a lot of talk about it affecting people. Uh, uh, so, but again, like Australia, people have gone slack on it. You know, they've had three, four vaccinations and think they were okay. And there's a fair bit of comment that they should be doing more, but that's similar to Australia, isn't it? Well, say, Cameron. Yeah, we. But yeah, go on. No, I was going to say, I just sit here in the morning and I talk to people from all over the place doing mm. all sorts of things. Yes. It's just, it's mind-boggling, Cameron. I'm glad. I'm it glad. Is. I'm glad it you is. you rang. Um, um, yeah, from, it's a pleasure uh, to ring Mac because I've listened to your show for years since you know well into the 1980s. And uh, and uh, I've enjoyed it, and I hear as you talk about, and others talk about what people from all over Australia are talking, which is what it's all about. Mm. I'm just a unique little being who's been, you know, <laughs> with a different story, <clears throat> and uh, I just wanted to report it in because of the uh, fact that it's 50 years, 1,000, no, 1 million 500 kilometres, 40, 49 visits. It's, you can't believe it. How life takes you up in a different direction. Yeah, and I was going to ask you something while you're talking, you know, because I'm always thinking of things I, mm-hmm. I want to ask and now I've forgotten. I was going to ask you something, but I, right. I can't oh, remember. Well. I, I, was going to, I was going to ask you how come yeah. you haven't rung in the last 50 years? I mean, if you've been over there. Oh, well, actually, I've thought of it. I've thought of a lot. Yeah. Uh, and then, then I did try, and then I had the wrong phone number and it didn't ring. But sorry about that. I give you my uh, heartfelt apologies. That's all right. The other thing um, I'm going to mention to you is the phone quality. I can get a call from yeah. down the road here, and it sounds awful. But and you're in Linz, and yeah. it sounds it's coming through like a like it's going like a German band, as they say. It's just a fantastic, <laughs> isn't it, John? It's well, bit... that, that happens from time to time. Yeah, it does. The German bands with their Glockenspiel come down the street. I tell you the. Look, there's one thing I want to say about Austria, and there's a close connection to Australia, as I said, because of the spelling of the countries. Mm. But the people in Austria are like Australians in their great love of life and fun and humour and so on. You have so much fun here. You know, it really is a beautiful country and the people are beautiful. Uh, I want to make that point because, you know, despite the fact that I am a committed Australian, I love Austria and the people I've met it's been a fantastic place to come to. Well, um, I'll see you in the spa sometime, Cameron. Good on you, mate. Nice to, ch- <laughs> nice 
Nice to talk <laughs> to you, mate. I'm not sure that that's a, that's a, that's a that's concept I want to look forward to. But <laughs> not together. Can. No, I'll see you in this one. But yeah. Uh, okay. Good <laughs> on you, Cameron. Great to Thanks, talk. Thank you. Bye. Good morning, Macca. This is Nancy. I'm ringing from um, from Lake Macquarie. I'm out on my kayak in the middle of a lake. Oh, half your luck. Wouldn't that be nice, Nancy? Paint a picture for us. Um, well, actually, I'm, I'm, sorry, I told a lie. I'm not actually right out in the lake. I actually came over to a bit of a beach where I've been waiting um, for a while. Um, I don't know whether you can hear the billbirds in the background. I can. Um, yep, we can. The sun is just coming up over the shoreline. It's sort of the back of the trees. The water's quite golden. Um, I came in here to get out of the wind a bit. It's a bit breezy out in the middle, but um, yeah, it's not bad. And uh, sitting here in my kayak and um, looking into the seagrass, I can see tiny little shells with presumably crabs underneath, and they're sort of walking around and presumably finding things to eat up. Are you, uh, are you an inveterate uh, kayaker, Nancy? Well, yes and no. Um, I guess the last few months in particular, I wanted to train a bit more because um, we were lucky enough to go up to the Arctic um, in um, uh, early July, and I really wanted to go kayaking up there. So um, I've been out training a bit, and um, yeah. Uh, so I was lucky enough to get out there um, amongst the ice. There was still ice there. Um, and it was just an amazing experience. Um, swishing bits of ice out of the way as you paddle around it. And uh, not enormous big icebergs. They wouldn't put us out there. But sort of small bits. And uh, it was amazing. And um, But unfortunately, the... Um, the weather was quite warm, um, 12 degrees. This is up in a um, place called Svalbard, which is about 1,300 kilometres from the um, North Pole. And we had 12 degrees, so ice doesn't last very long there. So um, at the end of our time up there, there was not much ice left, but initially there was. So um, from the ship we were on, we saw polar bears. They were out on the ice hunting. I was going to say that, and sea lions um, and all that sort of thing. Or seals um, lots and... of walrus and seals. Yes, in fact, we saw a few. There were sort of walrus in the distance when we were out kayaking. We had to stay well away from those, but we got up close to seals and um, all sorts of other things. So, uh, yeah, it was just an amazing experience to be able to go up there. Unfortunately, still find bits of plastic in the water. Um, not a whole lot, but enough just to make sure that, you know, uh, and life, our reach is everywhere. Yeah, yeah, life for you, Nancy, is just a, a paddle, really, isn't it? <laughs> well, it is. And um, the odd time a windsurf or a water ski, but yes, life is wonderful for me. Yeah. I, I'm very lucky. Yeah. yeah. And when did you start kayaking? Well, how did that start? Um, we bought a house, which is right on the, the shores of Lake Macquarie some years ago. And um, as I said, during the summer, I like to get out on a windsurf or a, a water ski, but in the wintertime, I don't really want to do that much. So, um, so we bought some kayaks and we just go out kayaking and um one thing we do when we go out kayaking, we always take an umbrella with us. Not that we think it's going to rain, but um, if we've gone paddling in the right direction, um, what we do is when we're tired of paddling, we turn around with the wind behind us, hoist our brolly, put it up the end of the paddle and sail all the way home. Well, it's a wonder they haven't invented some little you know, hole where you can just slot in a some sort of a thing in a, a little small sail. But that's, yeah, that's a great idea. But I thought it might be well, for I... sun because you can get sunburnt, can't you, out in the water? You certainly can, yes, 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 yes. But uh, this morning, not so much. In fact, I, it's a little bit cool here this morning, so I even had to put a jumper under the uh, life jacket. But uh, otherwise, it's just gorgeous out here. Yeah. Well, I've, really I've, wouldn't want to be. I'm, I'm going to try and do some kayaking. Um, I don't live far from the river, about a kilometre, so I've always wanted to do that, but I never do any of those sort of things. Nancy, I, I'm too busy. I've been too busy all my life, as I look at it now, working, you know, um, coming in here and 
getting well there's a lesson there's a lesson in that Ian but we would miss you if you gave up working <laughs> so I mean this is what our week is all about waking up with you on a Sunday morning whether it's on a kayak or uh, tucked up in bed looking at the lake or whatever <laughs> well it's nice that people like you ring Nancy I don't know if you've been listening to the program while you've done but with the a call from the Cocos Keeling Island up there from his and the, learning about all that and these air tractors that are flying back from Greece, which have been in, you know, and then they've yeah. been all over the place. And then Cameron in Lintz with his, in his yes. spa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> amazing stuff. <laughs> Certainly is. So um, you attract a, an amazing uh, array of people who call in uh, on a Sunday morning and it keeps us all fascinated and all, all in touch with each other, which and, is fantastic. And grounded. Listen, when last time I was at Lake Macquarie, I asked, uh, somebody said they'd seen a, um, a bull shark there. You haven't seen any sharks, have you? Or do you? Or what? Um, the odd occasion we do, it's actually probably a couple of years since we've seen them. In fact, not far from where I am at the moment. Um, but you do see them periodically and there are stories of people fishing them out, out of the lake. And unfortunately, there was um, someone who was attacked um, a year or so ago. But look, I still water ski and I windsurf and without, you know, I'm not a great windsurfer, so I do fall off periodically. Mm. Um, and yeah, the odd time I have seen a, um, yeah, I've seen a shark under my windsurfer. Um, so I made sure I didn't fall off then. But um Look, you know, you can get bowled over by a car, can't you? But, um, you know, we want to live our lives and, uh, yeah. It's an amazing place, Lake Macquarie. Not that I should be telling anyone about it. <laughs> Nancy, great to talk to you. Good on you. Thank you. All the best. Thanks, Ian. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. This is the All Over News. This is the All Over News, and first up this morning, a story about the Darling River, our Darling River. Dr Stuart Rowland, who I've known for many years, made a submission to the Independent Review into the February-March 2023 fish deaths in the Darling River. I'll read you part of that submission. I can't read it all because it's too long, but just to give you an idea, and it's our Darling River, so we need to know what's going on. Stuart Rowland says, I'm a retired principal research scientist who worked for New South Wales Fisheries for 36 years studying the taxonomy, biology, conservation and aquaculture of Australia's native freshwater fish of the inland Murray-Darling River and the coastal Clarence River system. In this submission, he says, I use the name Barker Darling in respect of the Barkinji, who have called the river Barker for thousands of years. The river was named Darling by the explorer Charles Sturt in 1829. I have known and worked on the Barker Darling since 1970, he says. In 2020, I published an autobiography called The Codfather about my life and career, and the final chapter, Goodbye Darling, chronicles the long-term environmental degradation of the Barker system. The native fish fauna, says Stuart Rowland, of the Barker Darling is in serious trouble. Murray Cod, Australia's most famous fish and the icon of the Murray-Darling River system, has declined dramatically and is now rare or absent from some stretches of the river. It's probably lost the capacity to recover naturally in the Barker Darling. Silver perch, an ecologically important omnivorous species, was once widely distributed and highly abundant. It's been severely impacted by carp and environmental degradation and is now rarely sampled or seen and may be functionally extirpated. Similarly, the freshwater catfish, once extremely abundant and widespread, is near extirpation in all rivers of the Murray-Darling system, including the Barker Darling. Trout cod is extirpated from the lower reaches. The decline and loss of these fish, as well as invertebrates and aquatic flora, represents a significant and alarming loss of biodiversity. 
Although fish kills are natural and occur periodically on a localised scale, degradation of the Barker Darling over many decades has resulted in an aquatic environment that is conducive to extensive fish kills. The series of kills near Menindee in 2018 to 2020 was an unprecedented ecological disaster. Many millions of fish died, including threatened species, and much of the river from Burke to Wentworth was dry. In The Codfather... I contended that these fish kills drove the aquatic ecosystem of the Barker Darling to extinction. The habitat, species composition and structure were so altered that the ecosystem couldn't function normally. Then came the fish kills in 2023. This was a flood year with conditions that many expected would rejuvenate the river. But no, fish again died in their millions over many months. The deaths extended from at least Burke downstream, not just near Menindee. Stuart Rowland continues... The Barker Darling is part of Australia's largest river system, the Murray-Darling. It's an outback river that has played key roles in Australia's history and heritage, including the evolution of fish and other aquatic organisms for millions of years, Aboriginal history and culture for at least 45,000 years, and the social and economic development of inland Australia since the 1830s. The Barker Darling is Australia's longest river, 2,700 kilometres from the headwaters of the Condamine to Wentworth, and its catchment and tributaries include rivers in New South Wales and Queensland, such as the Condamine, the Ballon, the Kalgoa, the Warrigo, the McIntyre, the Barwon, the Namoy, the Guida, the Macquarie, the Severn and the Jumeric. The Barker Darling has always had variable and unpredictable patterns of flow. Although in the outback and periodically drying to waterholes, recent research has shown that the Barker Darling historically flowed for 92% of the time, including drought periods. Annual pulses coming from the various tributaries were a common feature of the flow regime. The Barker Darling is characterised by steep banks, extensive floodplains, wetlands, flat topography, low rainfall, limited runoff and high evaporation and seepage rates. Floodplains and wetlands are vital components of inland rivers. Periodic inundation of the floodplains and wetlands provide the energy, nutrients and organisms that are essential for biological productivity, good water quality and river health. The most famous fish and the icon of the Murray-Darling River system is the Murray Cod, a large, long-lived fish which grows to over 100 kilograms. Murray Cod breed annually, and like other species, recruitment is enhanced by inundation of the banks and floodplains, which provide habitat and essential food such as zooplankton and insects that are critical for the high survival of larva and juveniles. Until the 80s, Barker-Darling was the stronghold for Murray Cod and other native fish. It is no longer. Stuart Rowland says, In my opinion, Murray Cod has probably lost the capacity to recover naturally in the Barker Darling and is facing extirpation in this river. Fresh water, says Stuart Rowland, is one of the most important resources for life on Earth. Despite this, biodiversity is being lost and freshwater ecosystems are being degraded and destroyed at an alarming rate throughout the world, including in Australia. The Barkindji people have lost millions of their totem, Nampa, that's Murray Cod, other fish and key food items and drinking water. The Barker Darling is the lifeblood of the communities and their social and psychological well-being is dependent on a healthy river. This loss of life's fundamentals would not be tolerated in Sydney or Melbourne or Canberra, other large cities and regional towns. The current situation in the Barker Darling provides a clear and loud warning, says Stuart Rowland, for other rivers in southeastern Australia, including the Lachlan, the Murrumbidgee, the Murray, the Ovens and the Goulburn, all of which are facing increasing demands on their water from the large-scale irrigation of cotton, nuts and other water-dependent crops.
As I said, this is just part of a submission by Dr. Stuart Rowland to the Independent Review into the February-March 2023 fish deaths in the Darling Barker River. In conclusion, he says, the Barker Darling is the lifeblood of the Barkindji people. Their submissions to this review will tell the story. But Badger Bates, a Barkindji elder, says this, When I was a kid, the Barker fed us. It was like a supermarket. We ate yabbies, shrimp, fish and turtles. I've never seen anything like what happened in Manindi in 2018-2020. If we don't keep water in the river, it'll all die. How can you teach culture from an empty river? And it's not just blackfellas' culture, it's whitefellas' culture too. Everyone's got a culture on the Barker, and we must get together and help protect the Barker and tell the government what they are doing is wrong. They go around with this water-sharing plan, but it isn't worth a piece of paper that it's written on. As I said, just part of Stuart Rowland's submission, he knows about rivers, he knows about fish, he's been studying them all his life. Marker, my name's Joe. I'm calling from Stalkwood in North Queensland. Just uh, ring to say day. Joe, is it? Yeah, mate, yep. And you're cutting cane. It'd be just about the end of the cane cutting, wouldn't it, Joe, and crushing? Oh, uh, yeah, we've probably got about another six or seven weeks to go. We had a pretty bad start this year. Uh, weather-wise, and uh, uh-huh. it's probably only been about probably four or five weeks that we've had a, had a decent sort of run at it. But uh, yeah, we're talking about finishing early December, which is probably about a month or three weeks later than what we normally would. But anyway, <laughs> So, Joe, are you a cane cutter, or is this your place, or what? Yeah, this is our place, yeah. We've, uh, it's not a very big farm, but we harvest our own, and uh, yeah. I, I uh, wish I was at Silkwood this morning. I can I can just picture driving past that little turn off that goes to Silkwood on that road on the on the fabulous Bruce Highway. Yeah. <laughs> just to go off there. So you're just off there a bit, are you? Yeah, about probably seven k's off the highway to the to the west. Yeah. Yep. So and it's been a good year. Ah, uh, the weather's given us a hell of a lot of grief. Um, I mean, that, uh, places in Australia are hanging out for a bit of rain and. We were really wishing it would go away there. Probably a month or so back, it just didn't give us a decent sort of a run. But anyway, it happens up here. That's what living in the tropics is about, I suppose. And which is your which is your mill? Where's your mill, Joe? South Johnson. South Johnson. And how's that going? Yeah, yeah the mill's going pretty good, actually, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's, um, when it gets a decent run at it, like I said, the last month or so, it's been, when it's been playing the game. So, yeah, we... We should be out of here by Christmas with a bit of luck. So your cane goes by truck or by cane train or what? By train, yeah. It's the rail system runs through. These are all old farms. The, the rail system runs pretty much right through our place, yeah. So. Uh, that's, well, that's good. That's handy too, isn't it? Oh, it is. It is. It's right, yeah. No, they've, uh, it's, it's pretty good. Um, most of our walls are pretty reasonably short, so, yeah. So you'll finish, what, end of November, you reckon? I think it'll be either first or second week in December, I'm thinking, the way they're talking. Um, depends on the cane itself. I, I don't think the crop's as good as everyone anticipated, but um, the price is pretty good at the moment, but there's nothing. They never ever line up together, those two, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, they never do. Although I remember last year, Blake said, we've never had it so good, Macca, the weather, the price, and the crop—it's just been fantastic. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's a rarity, isn't it? It is a rarity, but we've been in it all our lives, and we just 
And you can't believe that Christmas is just around the corner, Joe, can you really? I can't. No, that's right. Just, yeah, I don't know. The older you get, time just seems to go quicker. I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Joe, yeah. good luck. I'll, I'll, I'll catch you sometime in Silkwood. I've got to get on the road next year, so I'll, I'll, call, I'll call by. Okay. Yeah, that'll be great, mate. Thanks. Good talking to you. Oh, yeah, you too, mate. G'day, Marker. It's Kurt. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Kurt. Hey, so we're calling from a 40-foot yacht between Green Cape and Cape Howe on the New South Wales southern coast. Tell me. Heading, Tell... heading, yep, heading around the corner and uh, pushing into Bass Strait today. Mm, and why? What do you do? You just... Uh... What we're doing, we're, we're on a yacht. We, the owner's on the boat as well. He's currently uh, steering. Um, but he's taking his boat from Newcastle down to Queenscliff Yacht Club in, in Melbourne. So uh, there's four of us on the boat, two Daves, myself and Ryan, and we're um, we're getting his boat to where its new home is, nice and safely. Oh, so it's been bought and it's going down there. Bought and going down there, yeah. We've, um, we've come down the coast the last couple of days in some pretty sporting conditions, but it's, um, it's turned it on for us today. So we're going to round the Cape and point towards Melbourne. So, Kurt, you're a professional sailor, are you? You're pretty good at this uh, stuff? No. Uh, we, we sail a bit. We wouldn't go anywhere near call me professional, um, but everyone on the boat can, can sail a bit. It's more of a more of an adventure sail than anything else. It's a wonder he didn't wait. The owner didn't wait for the Sydney Hobart and, yeah, go down. <laughs> yeah, we should have. We should have. A couple of us on the boat doing the Sydney Hobart, but, uh, no, the owner needs to get it down there. But uh, we're looking pretty good today. The weather's turned it on for us, and... It's a great day to make our run across um, the capes, and we're we're just passing uh, Cape Disaster, or sorry, Disaster Bay now. So it's looking pretty good for us at the moment. Have you done a fair bit of this sort of thing, Kurt? Have you? Yeah, I've I've done a bit. A few of the other people on the boat done a bit as well. So it's it's um, it's 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 a good good mix of experience on the crew. Good well, people as well. Yeah, I I don't. So it's been a bit rough. Has it been a bit choppy? Uh, it, it was really choppy uh, last few days. Uh, we pulled into Eden uh, yesterday to sort of shelter from it. And I love the shout-out to the people at Eden who, um, who gave us a great hand with moving our fuel jerry cans up the long walk from the wharf to, to uh-huh. the service station at Eden. But, um, yeah, it was fantastic. Took, took a day to shelter and back on the road now. Good on you, Kurt. Great to talk to you, mate. Thank you very much. Have a good morning. See you, mate. Bye. <laughs> Helen's in Grafton. Morning, Helen. Good morning, Matthew. What's happening in Grafton, need I ask? Good question. Um, well, the, the reason I rang was, first of all, to say that the jacarandas are absolutely ideal. Um, we've had a lot of dry, dry, dry weather. And in the last couple of days, beautiful, gentle rain. So under each jacaranda tree is a blanket of, po- of purple blossoms. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? Still, there's still heaps of them on the trees. I'm just looking at one of my neighbours enormous jacaranda tree that's never been interfered with and they're just such a natural shape if they're not cut for electric wires and things Mm. like that but the other reason i wanted to ring macca if that's okay is to Mm. let you know Mm. um for the last nine years um our orchestra and choir has performed in the saraton theater um and we tend to pack out the saraton theater which is about 900 um in the audience and um, we raise funds for local charities in the valley. And over nine years, minus two years for COVID, we've raised um, almost $60,000. Wow. And what's, what's the name of the theatre? The Saraton, S-A-R-A-T-O-N. 
in go. the main street, in Prince Street. I see. I've never seen that. I've played it in Jack in Grafton before, done a concert or two. Um, but most, ah. I think I did one in South Grafton at the at the yes. club over there. Uh, yes, there's a butte club over there. Yeah, but um, no, the Saraton. No, the Saraton. Um, well, it's got a butte history. Um, it turned ninety. Um, oh gosh, probably about five years ago. I'm, I've lost the actual date in my head, but um, they've uh, restored it and it's um, to its natural beauty um, 90 years ago. And um, so it's a wonderful, it's got fabulous acoustics for orchestra and, and choir, and we love it. And <laughs> we love performing and looking out onto the stage. Uh, sorry, when you've got a few bars rest, you tend to look out at the audience, and there's all these smiling faces. And as an entertainer, that's really exciting. Yeah, uh, look, I'm, next time I'm in... In Grafton, I was going to try and come up this week, actually, um, get away for a couple of well, days. Well, if you could, um, if you could, that would be wonderful. We have Jacaranda Thursday, which is a big, big day. The schools have a half day off. And um, I'm pretty sure the ABC North Coast is having an outside broadcast. Oh, really? Um, on, yes, I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me on that. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, ABC North Coast, are, I'm pretty sure it's on Jacaranda Thursday. Jacaranda Thursday, and, um, yeah, so you might like to... Visit us on that day. I'll come up and say good day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, yeah, stay tuned. I'll, I'll think about it in the next hour or two. Um, all right, <laughs> Helen. Uh, yes, lovely. I, I saw a lady the other day sitting with a little, uh, must have been a grandkid, and they were sitting on the ground in a, in a, in a circle of all those flowers that, that you said <sighs> on the grass, and they had their photo taken with, uh, yeah, <laughs> sitting in the middle of this purple, purple circle. Oh, how lovely. Yeah, beautiful. I happened to park my car the other day under a jacaranda tree only for about half an hour or so, and there was a light breeze blowing, and when I got back, my entire windscreen was covered with blossoms. I just didn't want to put the windscreen wipers on. It was just so pretty. I know it comes from Africa, but it's almost like an Australian tree now. That we all think yes. People probably think it's a native because they're, they're planted all over the place. And yeah, anyway. Yes. Good on you, Helen. Thank you very much, Macca. I appreciate your call. It's a pleasure. Bye. Clem's in Orkinflower. Good morning, Clem. Uh, good morning, Macca. Orkinflower in Queensland. That's right, in Brisbane. Yeah. Yes, we're one of the inner suburbs. Look, I'm an old agricultural scientist. I've been watching the uh, basically jacarandas all my life. But this year, the first jacarandas started to bloom on the 14th of September in the park behind the Wesley Hospital. That's quite a well-known uh, site in, in, in Brisbane. Mm. And that was the earliest it's been for over 20 years. Uh, the earliest before that was the 16th of September. But uh, look, it's not all written down. It's just in my head. But <laughs> it's just that I watch these things, you know, Macca? Well, <laughs> as you do. Yeah, as you do. I spoke to a lady once and I said, uh, what do you do? And she said, oh, I trained in, uh, as an agricultural scientist like you. And I said... Uh, she said, now I'm raising two kids. And I said, do you still practice? She said, yeah, every day when I go out to hang the hang the clothes out in the line, I look at the grass. Yes, <laughs> you, you, you've got it. But but today it was very mystic because there was a smoke haze. And smoke haze and jacarandas just gives you a feeling of kind of uneasiness. It's just strange. It's just a mystic feel when you get smoke and jacarandas. See, I've never, Clem, that's... You've made us all think, Clem. Um, yeah. But uh, so, what you said you're an ag scientist. What what did you specialise in? Well, I specialise in uh, agricultural business management. Mm. Uh, but then I got into uh, 
working um, for the cane growers, mm -hmm. things like that. So all around the place. Um, but I'm I'm concerned about something macker with fires and with kangaroos and emus. Um, I don't know if you appreciate there are now what they call excluded areas in, in rural Australia, where uh, you get together and you build these enclosed inc fences that keep out all the feral um, dogs and uh, and um, pigs, you know, all the feral animals. So yeah. you've got so you can have, have good properties. So what happens is, if there's a fire, right, you'll make certain you get your sheep and cattle and horses off the property. But what happens to the emus and kangaroos? Mm. Because they can't get through, can't get out. So that's just a worry I've got, and it's been expressed in our kind of circles, you know. So, yeah, so um, no, it's a good I mean, point. I, I, when I drove, I just drove across the Hay Plain, and I saw the amazing amount of agriculture that's now there. And in days gone by, it was a, a real, just a, an outback area where you could see lots of emus and lots of kangaroos. I think yeah. a lot of people don't like kangaroos anymore or, or emus. Um, <laughs> I think there should be places for them there should be wide open spaces for yes. them um yes maka but uh i don't know what you do but thanks for the point clemmy no no well okay look thanks maka for what you do for australia too by bringing us all together we appreciate that well and uh, and i share i don't some think we're all together mate you can just look oh. around the place and we're, yeah. not, we're not all together which is a great shame but there's nothing i can do we just do a little program here a little no. dog and pony show and hope for the best now one moment why maka do you think we're the lucky country well, depends. Everybody's got a no, different answer to that, Clint. No, you tell me. No. I'll tell you why. It's because we are a federation of states and not and not sovereign nations. If you think if all of our states were nations, we'd have something like seven or eight different armies, mm. right? We'd have um, wars over the water in the Murray-Darling. At least we're one nation trying to work things out. So I'd just say that's why the lucky country, we're not a, we're just one nation. And we're a Commonwealth, Clem, yes. which is a great word. My little mate uh, Stan used to say Commonwealth, the Commonwealth yes. of Australia. Good on you, That's Clem. That's right. Okay, thanks, Macca. Thank All you, the best. Mate. Bye. I'll tell you why I live where I live. I've spoken to lots of people recently who've come back from Europe, uh, some Italian friends of mine telling me about Italy. Not the place they once knew. Friends who went to Paris, he went to Paris. Uh, same sort of thing. So, and I've been going through my back pages and I found a why I live where I live. And one again, there's a couple here that I haven't read that I should have read, but we get piles of them. We used to get heaps of them, heaps and heaps, and just couldn't get to them. And this comes from 30 years ago, but it's still relevant today. From Gillian and uh, Sharon, they're from the upper Hunter Valley in New South Wales. Dear Macca, says uh, Gillian and Sharon, I've been travelling Europe now for three months and every day I'm more happy about why I live where I live. I spent my childhood in the Upper Hunter Valley of New South Wales and now, when I'm not on holidays, I live and work in Western Sydney. Soon I'm planning a move to the Mid-North Coast. But the places mentioned are irrelevant, really. It's the country and the people I love so much. I think I'd come to take for granted the wonderful climate, the wide-open spaces, the freedom we have to move about, and our relative prosperity, as well as the warmth and kindness of the average Australian. My friend and I have travelled throughout the States, as well as the British Isles, France and Italy so far, and although we've met some friendly people, there is also a certain remoteness in a lot. 
We travelled through Northern Ireland where every second man was a soldier with an automatic rifle. Now I said this is about 1992. In England, the city streets are so crowded and dirty and in France, one spends the whole time avoiding a man spitting and a dog, you know whating. There must be a poodle here for every family at least. Most rivers are dirty and polluted. Now in Italy, we'll watch out for gypsies who'll pick your pocket. There are no shopping trolleys over here. They've evolved into step-through scooters. And my friend said, you've got to watch yourself because people driving scooters don't obey red lights. They just go through wherever you are. So nothing's much changed in Europe. The world, I don't know if the world's getting a better place or a worse place. I'll leave that to you. I don't know what Gillian Hickey and Sharon Grace ended up doing and where they are, but that was 30 years ago. But nothing much seems to have changed in Europe. Has it changed here in Australia? Recently, says Robin Timmons, you commented on the amount of Australians who live in high-rise apartments. They're being built everywhere, aren't they? Never in my wildest dreams did I think I would be one of those without backyards in a concrete six-storey structure. Let me tell you why I live where I live. Originally from Bondi, I moved with my family to Newcastle in the 60s. My father's work in the army brought us there, and I stayed through my teenage years. Then my work and the lure of the outback took me to the far north of South Australia, to Udnadatta. Money saved there allowed me to travel overseas to the UK and Europe and Israel, where I worked in a kibbutz, a goshrim. After 18 months away, I travelled through Southeast Asia and back to Oz. In 2009, with ageing parents, I made the difficult decision to return to Newcastle, providing care and support. I bought a two-bedroom unit in Warners Bay, thinking this would be my forever home. Then in 2017, my sister bought a three-bedroom apartment off the plan. Not long after, I purchased a small one-bedroom apartment, one floor above my sister's. Though I had to downsize and minimise my material possessions, I've settled into my apartment. I now overlook the northmost area of beautiful Lake Macquarie, twice the size of Sydney Harbour. That's two Sid hubs. The lake has a never-ending display of sail, motor and houseboats with a seaplane which lands opposite my home. Corellas flock to trees along the foreshore. My apartment block has beautiful gardens, a swimming pool and gym, as well as a common area with benches where I can have morning coffee and meet with other residents. And that's why I live where I live, says Robin Timmons. Thank you, Robin. Nice spot, Warners Bay. Back to the future, from Bill Cormu in South Australia. I live in Australia, Oliver, and I live here by choice, not chance. Choice in that when my immigration visa was issued 25 years ago, it was stamped under length of stay indefinite. There's not another country in creation like this one. That's stated with confidence by a man who's travelled hundreds of thousands of kilometres around the world and tens of thousands of kilometres in Australia. Where else could you walk an empty beach like one on Kangaroo Island, South Australia? The fresh air of the bite filling your lungs, your only company, sea lions. Fascinating creatures, especially the calves, looking for attention. One leaves its frolicking in the surf to perform under my feet. A second leaves mother's swimming lesson to share the fun. Surely there are three fighting for centre stage. The temptation was to encourage, but it seemed unwise to familiarise them with man, so I continued my walk. The following week I was overland skiing on the main range in Kosciuszko National Park. Right up top early one morning following overnight snow. To the limit of my vision, a sea of chased snow. The only tracks to break landscape are that of a fox. The turquoise-coloured ski supporting a single hawk. The air cool, fresh, pure. Silence broken by the crack of a distant tree branch yielding to the burden of snow. I felt I was one with the creator. The week after, breakfast at Bondi Bars. My senses of sight and smell stimulated by an unspoiled sunrise and the smell of bacon frying. The only sound waves belting the rocks which protect the pool. 
The next week I'm looking through the hull of a glass-bottom boat on the Barrier Reef, travelling half a snail's pace inspecting the clear virgin water of living coral and fish and animal life. I hear the call of scout gulls summoning the mob for feed. We land on a small sandy beach on one of the many, many islands which dot the region as waves caress the sand and adjoining rocks. Four seasons, four environments, one month, one country. Australia. This is why I live where I live. And kids, youngsters, have always been a big part of the program and especially why I live where I live. I'm thinking back 20 years when I suspect teachers who had a class full of kids and they'd listen to the program and they'd say... Who listens to Macca? If there was a forest of hands, they'd say, well, Macca has a segment called Why I Live Where I Live, and I'd like you all... So they'd sit down, the class would get pens and papers or whatever they did back in the 90s, and they'd write little letters, and I got stacks of them from School of the Year, little regional schools, from some city schools, but kids from all over. And as I've said to you before, I've got a file of Why I Live Where I Live letters that I just couldn't get to. I wanted to share this one to you because I'd like to know where they are. These are written on art paper in pencil and coloured pencil. Dear Macca, I'm Grace, phoning from Watson's Bay. That's a little bayside suburb of Sydney. Lovely, lovely area. I'm going to be seven on the 5th of May. This is written like in 1990, I'd say. I'm going to be seven on the 5th of May. The beach is just down the hill and every day after school, we go down and have a swim. I have a brother called Christian. My mum's name is Anne, and my dad's name is John. All my love, Grace. Grace Knott is her name, and she's written some kisses and hugs. And there's a card and a butte painting from her brother, Christian, who says, Macca, I hope you have a lovely time wherever you live. <laughs> They've also sent me a phantom skull ring and a piece of rock in a bag with a picture of a clown on the front. Are phantom rings still prized possessions? I know not. I know not what Grace Knott or Christian... All the family is doing now, but that was 30 years ago at least. You can email or write to Why I Live Where I Live, Post Office Box 9994. That's Why I Live Where I Live for this week. Is Jack McCoy in? Oh, ladies and gentlemen, Jack McCoy, the surf, surf, surf video man and surfer. Uh, alo- yes. Aloha, Jack. How are you, mate? Alo- aloha to you, Ian. I just wanted to call you. I was at Paul McCartney's concert in Sydney on Friday night. Oh, right. Not, it was like, it's the greatest show on earth. It's just so incredible. But the thing that was so unique about this year's concert was that he brought along three horn players with him. Wow. And it enhanced certain songs. He had a trumpet yeah. and a saxophone. And a trombone. Oh, wow. wow. And so I just couldn't help but think of you would love the show when you heard these renditions with songs that had horns. And these three guys were standing up the back and they were doing, you know how the old, you know, rock bands uh, in those days were all dancing unison behind the singer. They had that going, which was just classic. It would, you know, it's just such, He's such a showman. Yeah, yeah. Well, 81 years old, uh, three-hour concert, 44 songs. It's a big hippie love fest. Everyone's on the beat <laughs> singing every word. When he's I, got two more shows. He's got one in on the Gold Coast and one in Brisbane. If you don't have a ticket, go get one because right. it's it's incredible. Okay. I, I um uh, About, oh, look, I don't know, eight years ago, uh Lee bought me a ticket for my birthday for um to go and see um 
the Beach Boys, and Brian Wilson was basically Brian Wilson with a with a pickup band. He had it was a, a Bruce Johnson was in it. You know, it was a, gr- a great band. But he had he had this sw- Swedish brass section, and there was the same deal. He had about two trumpets and a couple of trombones and a and a French horn and I think a saxophone. Uh, did um, did Brian Wilson? So yeah, the Beach he was doing a lot of the Beach Boys stuff, but and also did some of the things he'd. Uh, Done and yeah, it makes a difference, doesn't it? And you feel like it it's proper music. It was, it was just a, a little bitchin' edition, you know, incredible edition. And you know, 50,000 people were just on their feet, just swaying the whole time. I wonder what it would be like if if John Lennon was still alive, wouldn't that be something, eh? Um, well, you know, I almost brought a tear to my eye. Peter Jackson got the sound and everything to uh, get back, the get back song. Yeah. Paul does that. He starts the song. And then when John part comes in, they put John on the screen singing his part. And then Paul gets up and does his part and it goes back and forth. I tell you, it brought a tear to my eye. It was like seeing the two of them singing together. Yeah. It was touching part of the concert. Anyway. (sighs) Uh, well, thanks for reliving that, no Jack. It, it's um, yeah, it's part of our, you know, all, a lot of people's lives, isn't it? And and the Beatles. I was thinking about why they were so popular. I think it was because there were four of them. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. There was four of them, and they were all personalities. So if you got tired of one, you could, you know what I mean? And and in, <laughs> in, but in terms yeah. of publicity in in papers and magazines, they could write an article about Ringo and then John Lennon and then George and then. You know, and and so that the the publicity thing just kept going and going, and the hair and the whole thing, and of course their music was wonderful. So, yeah, it just goes on and on. Jack, uh, you're in Yarra Happy this morning. I see here on my screen. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And I'm, is that uh, uh, dry there or wet or? You know, uh, a couple of days ago we got a hundred millimeters of rain, which uh, have sort of topped up my tanks considerably. Uh, which I'm I'm really happy about, and also gave the ground a good drink, so it's not as dusty up here now. But you know, it only takes a couple of weeks before it dries out, and and we're back in the same thing. But yeah, there's been some horrible fires down around Kempsey. Uh, my other fire. Uh, good on you, people. Jack. We're gonna fly, but nice to talk. I'll see you soon, hopefully. Aloha. See you, mate. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.